0: everybody and welcome back to the ICS Staff Podcast. It is awesome to have you. Thank you so much for tuning in once again. And really at the moment, I just want to firstly ask how are we all doing? I hope you're doing well. And that's kind of the biggest question. It is a bonkers time of year, pretty bonkers most of the time. But as we head to the last few weeks with different events and things that we are pulling together and wrapping up, it is a crazy time. And I just hope you're all doing really, really well and looking after yourselves. Hopefully this podcast is a nice distraction, you could say. Cast your mind away to something different um, from from whatever is uh, happening at the moment. So I hope you enjoy it. And this is episode seven with Mr. James Penstone. And we focus on the topic of intercultural learning. Within that topic, we kind of dive into really different definitions within that topic. We look at the complexities of it as well and really how that not only fits but what are some practical ideas around intercultural learning that we can apply and hopefully utilise as we move forwards in our international school setting. Of course such an important topic to converse and, and talk about and share so thank you once again to James for coming on the podcast it really was an absolute pleasure to to complete as it is every episode but selfishly I'm really lucky that I do get to have these conversations with so many different people within our community and yeah this really was uh, as I said a real real joy to, to record this episode because it could have gone on much longer. Uh, I think we we encapsulated, or James did, James encapsulated it so well um, in terms of this topic. So hope you enjoy it. Last note just to mention is that this, I believe, will be the final episode of this academic year. There may be a little one just sneaking at the end, maybe as a wrap up episode that might just be me, although that could be boring for all of you, Um, just reflecting and wrapping up all the different episodes over this academic year. But the hope is that from August on, there are some other uh, guest speakers and topics in the pipeline already from August onwards and beyond. So um, yeah, I appreciate all the support and feedback over the last few months. And as I said, probably the last one of the academic year with James. And thank you so much once again. Always, as always, there is always a welcoming element of feedback, comments of what you'd like to see on the podcast as we come back in August and beyond. So feel free to let me know of any topics, key things, putting yourself forward as a guest speaker, always wonderful to hear from you. So thank you once again. And here is my conversation about intercultural learning with James Penstone. Enjoy. And see you soon. Take it easy. Hello and welcome to the next uh, podcast episode for the ICS Staff Podcast. Welcome. Thank you for tuning in once again. And uh, I'm very fortunate to have on the podcast with me this time around, Mr. James Penstone. Welcome.
1: Well, thank you so much. And hey, thank you for putting this together. It's really exciting. It's actually exciting to be the recipient of the Phil Miller podcast experience.
0: (laughs) But thank you for doing this. I'm generally excited. Oh, that's awesome. I am too. And thank you for coming on. I appreciate that. Um, So our topic for today is we're we're looking at a a really, you could say, complicated, multi-dimensional topic as our podcast of intercultural learning Mm -hmm. and we're going to dive into that after our first intro uh, elements first so before we get to that just in general how how things gone I mean we're still even though restrictions are we look like we're getting to the end of the tunnel in a way but there's still that I suppose a residual effect of this pandemic that will last long term obviously but what has been kind of a big impact or effect whether it be professional personally out of this pandemic time Yeah, for me, probably there's
1: two things that really stand out. So first of all, and I've said this in a a few contexts before, we've had to be really flexible. And you know that the idea of a planning timeframe that might previously have been months ahead, weeks ahead. On some occasions during the pandemic, we've had to pivot and turn within the space of days, sometimes even hours to make very rapid decisions that have a huge impact on people. And I I look back to this time last year when we were bringing students back on campus. It was about this time, wasn't Mm -hmm. it, Phil? And that was a huge learning curve for the school to reintroduce students into a completely different environment in terms of the safety concept and what that meant. But then going back even further than that, if we go back to March of of 2020, I just remember we had an in-service day and we had everything planned out to talk about assessment. And then we decided that day we needed to get ready for the reality of potential campus closure. And I, I just look back with um, awe at the way that people responded, everyone responded. We got something up and running that was new within a matter of days, if, if not weeks. And I think it worked. Um, and the way that we adjusted and had to adjust was, was uh, fantastic. And, and I think that continues and that flexibility and the resilience that that requires, that adaptability is one of the biggest experiences professionally that, and, and, and in fact, personally, I think we've all had to uh, adapt and be flexible um, that I've seen, but also this amazing sense of cooperation that has had to come out of this. Um, we've had to cooperate with a very common sense of purpose uh, which is to keep ourselves safe, to keep our students safe, to make sure that we are giving as much continuity as possible to the school experience. Um, and, you know, we, we always cooperate and collaborate, Phil, but it's really brought it to the fore and it's been, it's been excellent to see.
0: Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. If I think, yeah, back to March 2020, you know, just that, that tipping point and that element of, like, whoa, what happens next? And I suppose such a sense, like, of course, different departments, but but colleagues that I work with, just almost a sense of pride in how, as a community, dealing with that situation, you know, which was just colossal in a way. It felt, as you say, looking back, just felt colossal. And I think, yeah, I think everyone in the whole community, that element of togetherness really came to the forefront. Yeah. Which is amazing. we, We were just talking
1: yesterday about the grade 12s and you know it's been a, it's been a tough gig for them to go through the diploma experience but they have shone um, it, it, they didn't know really what to anticipate but as they've emerged from it they've emerged with i think a greater sense of connection to each other a greater sense of purpose and resilience that's not to take away how difficult it's been for them but they've certainly gained uh, a lot from their their own response their own um collective resilience and that's been very impressive to see
0: yeah absolutely well yeah thank you for that it's great to almost yeah refresh that reflective element of (laughs) of the past year or so Mm -hmm. which is which is unbelievable um in terms of overall going off a different tangent just as an introduction to this podcast I i would like to also ask you one other question is Um, Just more about your background, really, like your your journey towards getting into this role. And I suppose that first question relates to a very um, intense, challenging role as it is, made even more challenging in current times. But before coming to ICS, if you just give... I'd like to know more about your original subject, where Mm -hmm. you started teaching and what kind of took you on that international path. Okay, Phil. So the
1: sort of pencil sketch of my career in education to date... I became a teacher in 2000, I was training in 1999, I was working at one of the largest state schools in the UK. Ooh. We had, from grade 8 equivalent up to grade 12, we had 2,500 students, so abs- uh, this is a 12 form entry school wow. with classes of 30. And I was, initially I was a geography teacher because that's what my degree was in. I also, by the way, did a master's in social anthropology and I wanted to use that in some way. So I ended up (laughs) teaching GCSE sociology, which isn't really the same thing, but uh, I I enjoyed that anyway. Um, So I was was teaching those two subjects and a few other bits and bobs. Um, I was there for five years. Kate was working at a primary school nearby. Um, I became head of department in the last couple of years. Uh, at the school where we worked in west sussex but we both knew that we wanted to go international and uh, we had an affinity with thailand because we had traveled to thailand at some point before we'd gone into education and uh, when an international job appeared in Bangkok, it just seemed to tick all the boxes, so we transferred to a a large school, another really large school in fact, uh, Bangkok Patina School, which is 2300 Mm -hmm. on roll, but that's all the way through. And um, went there as, as many people do for international education for one year, realized you couldn't do one year, it's a two-year contract. Anyway, 13 years later, um, it was at that point that we decided we wanted to um, change our context and transition across to Switzerland. So I, I joined and not as a geography teacher, as an economics teacher, because they didn't have a geography job going at the time. And so I, I, I managed to persuade them that I would be capable enough of <laughs> delivering diploma <laughs> economics, um, nice. which, uh, which <laughs> thankfully they bought. And so I, I essentially was an economics teacher, a TOK teacher, and I also taught a bit of geography and history and also a few other subjects. But I had uh, a role in pastoral oversight and also a role in curricular oversight. And my last role w- was what was known as a cross-campus principal. So I was working for the whole school, mainly on major sort of devel- developmental projects.
0: Awesome. Cool, that's great. And now you're here back in, back in Europe.
1: Back in Europe, um, in Switzerland. Quite a cultural change. Yes, and, and, and what a great reference, Phil, because that's obviously part Absolutely. of the theme. But uh, I like to
0: get smooth segues into each podcast. Perfect, <laughs> perfect. So. Yeah, thank you for that. No, really interesting. Thank you. And, and on, I suppose, that note of kind of um, getting to know more about you a little bit, we do have a quiz game round, which mm-hmm. is tradition for all new um, guests on the podcasts. Uh, we're keeping it simple. We're going back to a game of this or that gives us an idea of maybe some of your personal preferences that, that, that are of high importance, really, Sounds on, fun on, 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 on a life level. With so that. I've got a range here. And really, the key to the game is is that I give you two options. It's going to be this or that. You've got to choose what you would choose. Now, out of an element of kindness, you can say both. Right. You could also say neither, neither. Um, but try and uh, answer as quick as you can. First thought into your head what you choose and we'll try and rip through them as quick as we can. Okay. Let's do it. Okay. So here we go. This or that. Um, when I did this with uh, Mr. Atherton, it, it rhymed nicely. This or that with Nat, but I couldn't, (laughs) I couldn't find, I couldn't (laughs) find games of James. Yeah. (laughs) Play games with James. There we go. Awesome. Perfect. Um, okay. So here we go. First one up. So beach holiday or city break, city break, running or biking, biking, Asia or Europe, Europe, truth or dare truth, beer or wine, both. Ooh. <laughs> ca- ca- camping or hotel?
1: Uh, that's so easy for me to answer, but uh, the um, uh, I'm the only one in my family who would say this camping. Oh, okay. <laughs> You're in the minority. Yes.
0: Um, horror film or comedy film? Uh, horror film. Ooh. Uh, book or podcast? Book. Summer or winter? Summer. Geography or history? Geography. Facebook or Instagram? Instagram. Nice. Uh rock or hip hop? Rock, I think. Both, I want to say both. Oh, that's a good answer. Uh <laughs> last one, uh speedos or board shorts? Oh, or board shorts <laughs> definitely. <laughs> <laughs> That is a good not, one. Not, not to plant any images there, no, just, no, just no, for the, um, the podcast community. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, we're going board shorts for that with a definitive answer. <laughs> yeah. Okay. That was a very confident answer there. Yeah. Uh, and some really good ones, actually. Uh, thank you very much for that you and being, uh, being a good sport. Um, so, yeah, always nice to start on that note. And thank you very much for being a good sport, as I say. Um, so... That's the end of our intro part to this podcast, and now we're gonna do a deep dive into our topic for this, which is all about intercultural learning, okay, in an international mm-hmm. setting, and I suppose, of course, such a relevant element in you know our day-to-day lives, being on the international system. Um, where would you like to start in terms of this broad topic, thinking about intercultural learning and maybe exploring what we would define that as potentially.
1: Yeah, I mean, well, definitions, probably one starting point, but maybe we could start with what I think are the usual ways in to talking about intercultural learning in schools. And um, I've been involved in conversations on intercultural learning over the years, but there's a couple of concepts that usually really resonate, at least with educators to understand what it's about. Perhaps if we explore those a little bit and then we could try and move into the idea of definition. Yeah, But I mean, the first one that I remember being introduced to about 10 years ago, and and I think it still works for for people when when they um, hear of it, is that classic idea of a cultural iceberg. And the idea there is that there are some aspects of culture that are really visible and then there's all the unseen stuff which obviously is uh, is not tangible but really important to a, to mm. a culture and and the, the point that is usually made is that when we celebrate cultural difference and when we celebrate cultural similarity particularly in a school setting we've got to take care to attend to the the, the visible stuff but also the invisible stuff and you know in in a worst case scenario you might uh, imagine a situation where we say, yeah, we celebrate cultural difference because we uh, we celebrate certain festivals, we recognize the different flags of our nations, we celebrate different foods and also the, the visible clothing. And this is referenced as the four Fs, so food, fashion, flags, um, and uh, festivals. And they're really really important Mm. and there's nothing to take away from that but the important point about intercultural learning is that you can go even deeper than what's visible and ask yourselves questions about the the sort of the, the the ways of thinking the perceptions the attitudes the values of culture that sit underneath the very visible stuff so for example a school might put on A a cultural dance representing a culture somewhere in the world. Now that's absolutely fantastic, but then the the point being shared is you can go even further and you can say, well, what does the what does the dance tell you about cultural expectations in terms of gender identity, in terms of aesthetics, in terms of notions of tradition, in terms of what what's important about space. And so it's all of these subsurface things that we owe it to ourselves when we engage with culture and cultural difference, and I want to say cultural similarity, we owe it to ourselves to open up conversations about those pieces as well. It's not to say that the visible stuff isn't important, it is, but we can go even deeper.
0: Yeah, yeah, and and, and really almost going back to the beginning here, like I'm, I'm really glad we're talking about this and having this as a podcast topic, so, so thank you for for bringing that onto the podcast, sure. because if I think even from a personal point of view as, as a teacher, I mean, of course, it's I would be confident to say yes, it's embedded in our in our day to day community life, absolutely. But of course, also as a teacher, we're we're focused on so many different, I suppose, so many different dichotomies in the world of being a teacher, mm-hmm. whether it's pedagogy, um, the assessment, curriculum, mm-hmm. you know that that this topic that we're talking about this intercultural learning element can be difficult to keep in the forefront i yeah. think i think it can it can be there but it can be very difficult to to keep it explicit and keep it very much even more embedded in our current culture yeah and so so i think it's great that we are talking about it because i think it's something that yes we have so many things to focus on it's so important as a community to pull together and bring this even more so to the forefront of our minds. And I suppose what we're talking about here is that iceberg model of culture mm-hmm. and that, you know, looking at that model, talking about that, that 10, 15% of the iceberg mm-hmm. is the visible element. Mm-hmm. And you've got the other 85, 90%, which is, as you say, the deeper meaning patterns and, and mental um, models, you could say.
1: Yeah, and and and, you know, as an international school, which is composed of multiple cultures and very dynamic cultures, it's so important to, to attend to that fact. It's one of the richest elements of an international school, is the uh, wonderful cultural diversity and heritage that is present and the experience that young people are going through, as well as the adults, in negotiating their relationship with, with multiple cultures. Um, and so to to give it some conscious thought and intention within what we do i think it's it's vital
0: yeah absolutely and 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 having yeah i suppose it's too broad of a word but that element of awareness about that other 80 90 percent mm-hmm. you know and I, I think it's it's something that we we do kind of come across in our day-to-day lives you know as teaching in our, in our international community but just I suppose it is a, a mindset for everyone, teachers and students. If we get down to the nitty-gritty of, of of interactions and the elements of how we work together, and and working on that can improve um, our element of of how we, um, yeah, how how we how we really have the element of acceptance of all cultures. Yes, on one point, but how we can embrace that and celebrate that as well.
1: Yeah. No, definitely. Um, y- you know, I, I wanted to share another concept that is also one that I think resonates with a lot of educators in international education. And I think most of us have heard of it before, but is that idea of third culture kid. It's an idea that came out of the 1950s looking at the experience of American expatriates. And the idea, if, if you haven't come across it, is, is quite simple, is that you, maybe in an international school setting for example where your own parents are from a different cultural context to the one that you're now engaging with that's immediately around you so you're in a different culture in a different country and as a child growing up through that experience you connect with both your parents cultures and the host culture around you but you never fully connect with either and what can happen and you know a lot of alumni from international schools have reflected this is when they get to universities they gravitate back to the other people who had that same disconnected experience Mm -hmm. they gravitate to other people around them who are going through that experience that's their third culture others who are kind of trying to attend to two sort of host cultures their parents culture and the and the country around them but what gets really interesting is that same concept keeps getting extended. So now people are talking about, for example, fourth culture kids. And a fourth culture kid can be different things. It can be, um, and I find this interesting, it could be someone who is a national of the country where the international school is based. So for example, we might imagine uh, a Swiss child who enters into an international school context and they find that the values expressed, the norms expressed in that international school aren't quite the same as their own host culture. Mm-hmm. And they experience that disconnect that they have to negotiate and they have to make sense of. And that's a phrase that's been using for that sort of profile. But it's also been used for children whose parents were of two different cultures. And they're also in a different host culture culture and so they're navigating those three cultures, plus they're trying to make sense of the, the people around them. And, uh, and, and so we talk about fourth culture, we talk about fifth culture, but the more we look at it, it it's just, it's quite a simple idea of the third culture kid. But what it's trying to remind us of, quite simply, I think, is that our children, the t- children that we teach, and in some cases our own children, are going through an experience of culture that's very different from our own. Yeah. And we yeah. just need to remind
0: ourselves that yeah, no, I think I think it's so important and 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 so important to yeah remind ourselves of that challenge it brings mm-hmm. as well into our own context, because mm-hmm. you know if you've got as you say a a, a fourth culture student, mm-hmm. you know having to i suppose consolidate all these different you know you've got beliefs, values, expectations from all these different cultural elements. In kind of a melting pot and and also what they bring into the community you know are their expectations and beliefs very different to what we would promote as a community and then that that can be sometimes a very challenging situation but also just i think being aware and having that empathy for the student themselves of that can be quite a tough thing to go through yeah and and i think one one word even that i just from previous Experience and looking at the the element of third culture kids is is kind of rootlessness. Mm-hmm. This term that that was linked onto that was was rootlessness and and the the negative impact of that. Right, and it's so important to be aware in terms of how we approach that in terms of pastoral care.
1: Yeah, it's it's it, that's one of the major reasons why uh, a conscious focus on intercultural learning is important. Is it it would support our young people to consider their own identity. Their emerging identities, in some cases it's it's plural, isn't it? But they are, as I've said before, negotiating, in many cases, multiple cultures, and they're very dynamic exchanges with cultures that they're going through. Um, But they need to develop a sense of self-identity, it's so important to their own well-being and so it, it i'm glad you mentioned pastoral care because it has that 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 knock on effect if we if we really are striving for a school and a community where every young person feels welcome and respected we also need to attend to their emerging identities which are fashioned by their various cultural experiences and and, and so maybe that's where it's useful, Phil, to talk about definitions, because, well, what's intercultural really simply is between cultures, right? That's, that's what it means between cultures. But the, the phrase that used to be used in the past was multicultural. And mul- multicultural, the way uh, people look back at that phrase now, is almost this assumption that um, things are good because we've got lots of cultures coexisting. But the problem with that is that there may not actually be much exchange between those cultures. And that's that's the critique of the, the notion of multiculturalism, is you have discrete cultures coexisting without very little exchange and understanding and exploration of similarity and difference. And so the idea of interculturalism comes about because it tries to build in this idea that there will be conscious exchange of values, of ideas. It will be more dynamic. Both, uh, If you imagine multiple cultures together, they will start to um, adjust and evolve and go through a dynamic phase of development by benefiting from their exchanges with each other. Yeah. right? But then it gets quite interesting because another phrase that's been put around now is... Is transculturalism?
0: Yeah, yeah. I noticed that you shared that. You know, there's those three definitions that we're on. You know, multiculturalism, interculturalism, and then transculturalism. Yeah, and, uh, tra- it's fascinating. Well,
1: tra- transculturalism is is talking to I think what you were mentioning earlier, and that the real experience of students isn't that they're in a fixed, static culture that is having some sort of exchange with the cultures around them, but they're actually inhabiting multiple cultures simultaneously and they can go beyond the boundary they can tra- they can almost transport themselves beyond one kind of cultural identity to another they can uh, extend across cultures and one way that someone once described that to me was if, Uh, you know think about the phones and the the, the use of phones and all the social interactions are going on there that's chaos Mm. and it's really messy complex chaos but it is giving young people these days insights into different cultures which would never have been available before and potentially is giving them equipping them with an understanding of different cultures that hasn't been available before Uh, so it's recognizing that the real experience of young people today isn't Fixed into one so-called culture, and this is this is really important in international education because I think we sometimes make that mistake of saying, right, we're intercultural because look, we've got 50 plus nationalities. But you take any one child; they don't occupy. That's not their culture; is their nationality. That's an influence, but within that that nation that they have um, they have heritage from there'll be many subcultures that are also having an effect on who they are, whether that's the, you know, kind of constructs of gender and socioeconomic status, um, age, all of these other factors, ethnicity, all of these factors are also playing into cultural identity. And so transculturalism is is kind of going one up from the idea of interculturalism but it's just trying to, to recognise that you, you can extend beyond cultural boundaries that are not fixed and it is really chaotic it's really complex and that's the reality that you know, young people are, are navigating
0: yeah, yeah, and I think with that element of transculturalism there's definitely that chaos that's there but very kind of, I, I suppose deep benefits to that situation well because we're as you say this is almost like you're moving through stages of development multiculturalism was very much more or is very much about generally the acceptance of other cultures existing mm-hmm. next to each other or, or yeah. in one place mm-hmm. and so that's kind of multiculturalism on a level of okay they're just there and we're next to each other mm-hmm. in a way and then if we we go then towards interculturalism as you mentioned you know very much kind of moving beyond that and promoting interaction Mm -hmm. where we've got I suppose, yeah, that that 10 to 15 to 20% of the iceberg model that is becoming more prominent which is fantastic Mm -hmm. but we're we're then promoting the the interaction but as you say, transculturalism we're then combining elements of more than one culture together Mm -hmm. which is quite fascinating in a way and how that works within an international school setting and I suppose that's where we can then look at almost like the knock-on effect of that mm-hmm. for how students operate pastorally and interact and, and and engage, I suppose, in the community.
1: Yeah, and and I, I think, you know, despite sort of what we were just saying about it being complex, and it is, you, you have to, you, you know, culture itself is an incredibly slippery word, and trying to define that in itself, you could come up with all sorts of definitions in response. But, what you're talking to is there's something very rich about the, the the fact of intercultural transcultural exchanges that our students are 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 facing, and it has a benefit for them. And I think for me, there's two really simple benefits for a focus, quite a conscious, deliberate focus on intercultural education, intercultural learning, right? And when I say that, is it, it's important to to reflect that. There's going to be a lot of intercultural learning anyway by the virtue of students of different cultural experiences Mm -hmm. interacting. But you can move from that accidental fact of a school to more intentional um, supporting students with their learning through school. And I think the two benefits that you could focus on are really simple. One is learning to get along with other people. Regardless of who they are, mm-hmm. that's a huge outcome, and that's something that I think we could all agree as being one of the the, the great goals of, of of education. And the other one is also figuring out who they are, respecting who they are uh, in terms of their own identity, which you know again it can be a uh, it can be messy, it can be complex, but giving them that space to recognise who they are and what the, their influences are and who they're becoming, so. How they get along with other people, but also how they get along with themselves, their own identity. And I think if we give conscious space to both of those things, then w- then we do the young people
0: in our care a great service. Yeah, ab- absolutely. And I suppose getting into kind of the last couple of questions or the last couple of topics for the last phase of this, this podcast episode is what what we can probably really state is that this concept, this idea, this topic is really very complex. It is completely multifaceted and and very complex is there any way of attempting to simplify it i think you actually what you said there is actually spot on Mm -hmm. i think what you said just focusing on the you know simplifying to those two elements Mm -hmm. um is is crucial i think and, and really spot on in terms of attempting to simplify it in a way yeah, I mean, I I, I did attend a,
1: a symposium on intercultural education a, a few years back, and someone made the point that one person's intercultural learning is going to be very different to someone else's because, obviously, yeah. as an individual, you're negotiating your relationship with different cultural experiences completely different ways to others. So I only share that because my simplification there might not be everyone's simplification, but for for me it works what what you just said you know about it being really complex what concerns me is that we might therefore shy away from it as Mm -hmm. something to really grapple with right how are we going to have conversations with our students about culture knowing how sensitive sometimes those those conversations can be and i think we're at risk of turning away from it and sort of focusing on the easier stuff Mm. celebrating the visible and we do risk ourselves not entering into deeper, richer conversations about um, the influences that we're facing. And that, that is the stuff beneath the, um, beneath the iceberg. So, so I think there are a few things we as educators can do that I hope are accessible. And in actual fact, I think we're already doing, right? Yeah. So, so one of them would be to create a safe space where students can ask questions and explore questions about culture. And you could do that at any age. In fact, there are mechanisms, aren't there, in schools for creating a safe space where the teacher isn't the expert on culture, but the teacher guides the students through a process of inquiry. You can ask an open question, and you just know that you're going to respect each other's answers. There might be different perspectives, which actually you hope there are, because this is what you're exploring when you're when you're talking about cultural influence. Um, but you 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 manage that space in a way that the students can do it. When I say safely, they should still be able to lean into the challenge of exploring different mm-hmm. perspectives, but to do it in a way that they know that they that they they they're going to be respected for what they say. And so you know, in maybe in younger years, you might create a circle time experience where every child knows that they can explore something, and they can ask questions about something. And by the way, you can start getting really young children into culture by just asking simple questions like, why did your parents call you what you're called? Why did your parents call you Phil or Philip?" Where does that name come from? And if you do that to a class of young children, they're then encouraged to go speak to their parents about the value of their name. And mm-hmm. as it turns out, as they explore, explore that and they, they share that with their peers, they start to get a real sense of the culture behind their name and the difference of what, what inspires the meaning behind a name and what that says about a particular place where that comes from. But so you create these, going back to my point, you create these safe spaces. Older students, there's something called um, philosophy for children, which is essentially the same idea. You're sort of creating this very structured um, framework where all students know that they can lean into a question about culture, and it might be a really sensitive one. they can do so safely so my argument here is not for a teacher to feel that they have to lead a conversation with students and know all the answers Mm -hmm. but just to create the right framework where where these things are explored and i once saw some students who were asked to bring in artifacts that represented their culture which is brilliant by the way And you had all sorts of interesting, some were bringing in songs from their childhood, some were bringing in dream catchers because they'd grown up in the far north of of North America where that was a significance. And children around them were crying when they were hearing the stories of why this was important to them because they were referring to their grandparents and all this sort of thing. And it's just unlocking that space where it's okay to talk about this quite sensitive, deep stuff. I think we owe it to our students to make room for that
0: yeah i I mean that's so powerful you know and i think Mm. going back to what you what you mentioned earlier in terms of developing you know and not developing element of not shying away from it i think it's if we really focus on the benefits that there are actually some common goals that we actually talk about quite a lot and one of them is for example empathy Mm. you know we always talk about how can we develop more empathy in our students or you know and we talk about pastoral ken and this is such a crucial avenue for that you yeah. know and and we look at different ways of doing it and and sometimes it's 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 just not quite in the forefront okay yeah let's actually make this more explicit and use this as a platform for developing more empathy and awareness yeah. cultural ah. awareness
1: and i'm really glad you say that because that's why i think we already do it right so the the idea for another idea with intercultural learning is to develop intercultural competencies so it's like a, the, the kind of, I guess, the buzzword would be a toolkit with which to interact, ask questions about other cultures, recognize difference and similarities. But when you look at what that toolkit involves, it involves things like being a critical thinker, being really reflective, demonstrating empathy, be right at the heart of it, being able to empathize. And that's what I want to say that's really reassuring, because I think those skills you'll find running through this school Mm. right the way through the ages from our youngest learners right to our oldest learners that that's been developed so again it's a bit like the subsurface of the iceberg but those competencies feed directly into conversations about culture however messy or complex they might be so i i say that as a reassurance i think we're in a really good place from what i'm seeing to hold conversations with students because they're they're they're, they're already being encouraged to think in
0: these ways yeah yeah, no, and I I completely agree. Yeah, absolutely. And we we look at you know how I mean I can't comment too much on primary, but I think yeah, right the way through, we we can see that definitely. And and from a secondary perspective, looking at the PDP program and and developing those those SEL competencies in a practical sense just feeds into that. Mm-hmm. And I mean I mm-hmm. mean and on where we are now in the conversation, would what would be some other practicalities that you think could embody and, and embrace that in even more
1: yeah, well, uh, I know that you uh, led a podcast obviously with Lydia on service learning, and in fact that 's critical as well for an international school um, if I, again, I was w- once at a conference with educators from all sorts of different schools and and the reflection came out was that the students are better at us than this they're, they're in an international school they 're really good at kind of interacting with one another relating to one another navigating their cultural difference because that's what they do and and i agree but the point i shared was and i'm gonna you asked me my kind of my my backgrounds and obviously I, i shared with you that kate and i worked in thailand for 13 years the the point i made at the time was Yes, our international students within our international school may be very capable of navigating their cultural differences within that school. But don't forget that does represent a certain, I I guess a certain sector of society who has access to that school. My question then was, could the same students go to a a local school within a kilometre radius from where we are and navigate cultural differences and similarities. And could we take them to a village in the far, remote north of Thailand? And would they be able to navigate cultural? Would they be able to engage um, with with people in the same sorts of ways? And I'm not sure that that's always something that the students are are fully equipped to do. I believe that they can. But one way in is to is to take that idea of service learning. And to do so in such an authentic way that you are interacting with, and it it doesn't matter whether you're in Thailand, Switzerland, any country, but if you're working with communities beyond your own school and you're using the the host country language, for example, to do so, and you're interacting with young people, old people, um, on, on a core purpose, you're also equipping yourself with you know, intercultural competencies in doing so. So I think really good service learning um, with the reflection that that embodies and always is is designed to embody about what did I learn from that experience, how did I grow as a learner as well as the impacts I've had with my interactions. I think that's
0: all great stuff. Yeah, yeah. And, and on that element of practicality, I suppose what, what can also come from that which i suppose we experience through round square and the service centre we have but tagging on to that it's that element of student voice and participation on on what that could or should look like as well yeah yeah definitely
1: uh yeah thank you i think that would probably be the last last key thing that we could talk about as a way of deepening intercultural learning if we're going to Uh, start to go even deeper in our conversations and our learning experiences for students. We need to bring them on board. We need to to get their feedback. What sorts of conversations do they want to be having? What sorts of cultural questions do they have? What do they find difficult? What are they grappling with? You know, talking about the chaos on their phones and the, the kind of interactions they're having virtually across cultures, what's this causing them to... Um, have concerns about, or what do they want to explore even further? And so I think if, you, if you're going to be really authentic about creating space for intercultural learning and exchange within a school, you definitely need to
0: consult the students
1: about what their current, where their starting point is and where they want to go with things. What and do they want to learn more about?
0: And I suppose what, what they also can, can express in terms of feeling safe as well. Right. You know, what does that environment look like for them and and how that can have an impact on the conversation, right? Which I suppose, yeah, is is really beneficial and so important to, as you say, have have that ability to enable the student voice into that conversation. Sure. So yeah. no, that's that's excellent. And I suppose, yeah, that's that's amazing. You know, in terms of tho- those key elements of the practicalities of it, and I suppose just for me personally, just keeping keeping that going is is really in the picture you know always is but I think it's been really really just fantastic to talk about this topic and
1: well thank you Phil I mean I I think I I I love this topic I think it's really so as I said earlier for international education it's one of the things it's it's one of the greatest outcomes of that experience for students Um. so we 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 are doing so much towards it I mean that's one message I want to share just by and certainly at ICS I see it there's lots of considerations of culture and identity and how they develop um, as young people with these experiences but I think it's such a rich resource the fact that we have so many different cultural experiences that to to give it
0: purposeful space is is a is a great ambition yeah and I think it's also that we also have a very culturally diverse faculty as well right you know and we, we have everything in place yeah to just Express that and utilize that definitely, and it kind of reminded me um from one one lecture I had one master 's lecture for one unit which We were talking about um intercultural learning actually, and it was and she gave this this concept that every single person within the community we always have this invisible knapsack on our back mm-hmm. as a, as a cultural element. We all have our own invisible knapsack, mm-hmm. which has all these different elements and whether it be artifacts or background information or objects that really represent who we are and our culture and as people Mm -hmm. and she really focused on the fact of it being invisible yeah because how we you know some of our mannerisms or behaviors how we approach situations having that awareness of so many different approaches to those miniature situations that we all have our own cultural backpack that influence those patterns yeah and those behaviours I like I mean, that I like that. that a lot just having it. that awareness and I suppose starting a conversation even with our students well what's in your mm-hmm. backpack what's in your cultural backpack and, and expressing that and it just that's why it was really interesting to focus on this because it really jogged my memory of that great Sure. and I, I remember some of the other people in the class were like what is she going on about like, well this, this <laughs> was a few years ago this, was, this wasn't that recent but she was like yeah she's talking about all this concept of yeah carrying this and that and and it was just amazing to look back on it. Actually, how she was just so on point, yeah. And, and you know, and and it's it's something that has kind of, I suppose, stayed with me, even though it did jog my memory. But um,
1: no, it's really cool. I really like that analogy and anything that's just kind of opens up thinking about uh, our our cultural heritage and experiences that are changing all the time. And I keep wanting to emphasize, I think, in intercultural education. It shouldn't be about emphasizing difference, although that is important. It should also equally be about identifying similarity um, of experience as well. So
0: this has been really cool, Phil. Really yeah. enjoyed it. Thank you so much. I've, I've absolutely just thoroughly, thoroughly just enjoyed it. It was just a real, a real pleasure to have you on the podcast. And I think the beauty of it is that it just extends across the whole school as well you know this this topic so it's been a really important conversation so thank you very much for coming on thanks thank you phil thanks for having me and uh, maybe we'll have you back on the podcast sometime soon oh,
1: i'd love to love to be but uh, let's make room for some other people this is great <laughs> by the way keep it
0: going really enjoying it i appreciate that thank you so much and uh, thank you to all of you who are tuning in and listening in i hope you enjoyed it as well and um, be aware of the next episode coming up thanks so much you know my back, you know my